Good morning. All right, that was good. That was good. So uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my name's Jason McDaniel. I've been with Riverbend, kind of moved to the area around the start when this church was starting 13 and a half years ago now, I guess it has been. Um, so I've had the opportunity to serve in a number of leadership roles kind of over that period. And this morning, it's, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker uh, this morning, um, who, who I can honestly say I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. And uh, it's my dad, uh, for those uh, who haven't known. Um, so, yeah, my dad will be speaking this morning, continuing our series here on Love Has Won. He'll be teaching from uh, John chapter 13. And, and I know my dad has been soaking on this passage of Scripture, this particular passage, for years. And I am not exaggerating. He has been focusing and in, in studying into much of scripture, but in this passage in particular, I know is very meaningful to him. So excited to hear what he has to share with us uh, this morning. Dad? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jace. Um, yes, this is, this is really special. Um, Gretchen and I have just moved into this area about a year and a half ago, and I have to be uh, clear. I mean, we wanted to get close to our children but even more our grandchildren. <laughs> so, so we've only been here for a year and a half. But before that, we were in uh, the area of upstate, in the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, uh, around Ithaca, New York. And the distinction of Ithaca is that within a 20-mile radius, there were three major colleges. And so that was all we did. It was like teaching and all of that kind of stuff. And so for us... The big thing that happened in the spring, and you know, spring is this week. The big thing that happened in the spring was that uh, we would be looking forward to uh, graduation. And so there would be tons and tons. I mean, you'd go through the neighborhoods. Everybody was having parties, and you know, you would be graduating from junior high to high school and from high school to college, and then three different colleges. So everybody's kind of all into this graduation stuff. And I was thinking about this passage, and I want to connect it exactly to that, because as you think about this thing, we know what you're doing with graduation is you're, you're celebrating something that is a change of life, where somebody has just spent usually years, you know, where they're training and grooming and preparing, and then they're, boom, they're off, and so they're commencing a new world, a new life, and so uh, we would have the highlight of graduation would be the commencement speech. Anybody graduating this year? Anybody in here? Well, great. Yeah. So, yay. <laughs> so the commencement speech would be not just the time when you got your um, diploma, but it was the time when we would recruit the, some super famous, fabulous, perspicacious, sagacious person to come in and tell people how to be successful in life, right? So th that's what they would do. And so, you know, we would have people, you know, as you look at, at commencement speeches, uh, the, they would tell people something that was kind of common sense but not common practice, you know, something that was kind of profound. So I think of, um, here's, uh, by example, um, Ann Landers. Uh, I, you may not know her because <laughs> you're a younger group, but us older gray-haired people will remember Ann Landers, who was this famous uh, uh, columnist, and she, at her graduation uh, uh, convocation, she uh, said something to the effect that the Lord gave us two ends, you know, one to sit on and one to think with, and your success will depend on which end you use the most. And so, so it'd be, 
Or uh, Vidal Sassoon, you may not know him either, but he was the most famous hairstylist in all of history. He invented the bob cut. Uh, and his famous thing was that when he spoke, he said that the dictionary is the only place where success comes before work. So work hard, guys. Go out and work hard. Or um, uh, Will Rogers uh, famously said, um, you know, even if you're on the right track, if you don't keep moving, you're going to get run over, right? So that was Will Rogers. And my, my favorite was um, um, Teddy Roosevelt, who said, um, he said, you know, even if you, if you don't go to school at all, you can steal from the freight car. But with a, with a university education, you can steal from the whole railroad. And, <laughs> and, and that's a word from Washington, by the way. <laughs> So uh, they, they give you these things, and I, I'm just thinking here, and I'm stewing on this. Um, wouldn't it be great if we heard the commencement speech, the message from Christ, how would we be successful in life? And the good news is that, that he, he gave us one, and that's exactly what you find in John chapters 13 through 17 he gave us a commencement speech, and he told us what is most important in the universe and what our purpose for being is and what we should be doing with the few years that we have. And so my purpose this morning with you folks, and the time is so tight, um, it's just a little sliver of time, um, is to introduce his speech, his words, um, and, to, uh, and, and the whole passage is John 17. 13 to 17, but the, the church is going through a series that's going to take you all the way through to the end of John. But this speech stands alone because his people were, his 11 disciples, faithful disciples that he was talking to, he's about to leave them. In a period of less than a few, just a few hours, he's going to be hanging on a cross and then he's gone. And his time of living with them and teaching them hour by hour, day by day, night and day for three years, they're done. They're on their own. He's out of here. And so he's leaving, and, and they, have, they are now, if you will, commencing. And so this is their, their time of commencement. And I'd need to, to share, if I, to some extent, and with so little time, just a little bit, how these words are just literally changing my life. I've been a Christian since I was 13. Now, now that's like 60 years. Uh, that's a long time, but the truth is that it's only been the last 10 years that I've really awakened to the full power of this message. So I want, to, I want to share that with you to the degree I can, and then to invite you, because I guarantee you that if you let this sink, if you let this permeate into your soul, it will, it will just transform you. It will transform you. So let's keep going here, and I want to give you this message. And it starts here in uh, John 13 and, and, and verse 1, and it goes, it was just before the Passover speech, that it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come, just a few hours he'd be hanging on the cross, that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That is to say, in the message series that we're in, he, showed, he, he loved them to the end. And he said that the, the, the evening meal was being prepared. That was part of the Passover. The evening meal was being prepared. 
And, and uh, the devil, also in this passage called Satan or the prince of this world, all three are used. The devil had, had prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. There were two Judases. That's why it's, it's clarified which one you're talking about. Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was now returning to God. So let's just, let's just unpack this a little bit as we go forward. It, now, um, it's the Passover. And, you know, we could literally spend an hour just marinating into that. I mean, the Passover was a big deal for the Jews, even apart from this. It was, you know, uh, the, the, the tent uh, um, uh, plague and uh, they, they were, the Passover had gone on and they had, and the, the blood of the lamb was put over the doorway. And so the firstborn of each of the Jewish families would be passed over so that they would not be killed in that, in that plague. So that's going on. The Passover is happening. But Jesus is redefining the Passover such that this, my, that my body is being broken for you and my blood is being poured. I am the blood of the lamb. He's literally redefining the Passover to take that symbolism and apply it to himself. And so there's all that that's going on. And all of this is happening in the, in the, in the church, in the, um, the, the temple. And the temple, it was the grandest temple in all of the universe, all of the world at that time. It was 1,800 feet long and 11 or 1,200 feet wide. And it was a massive temple complex. And, and the Jews would go to this temple at, uh, for three holidays a year. And according to one guy, Ray Vanderland, there were like in excess of 900,000 Jews and they're all clustered in there. And that's what's, this is what's happening in the space when Jesus is gonna, gonna get crucified. And what you don't get when you see this, this, um, this Passover meal is that they didn't do things the way we do things now. You know, Leonardo da Vinci wrote The, the Last Supper and the, the picture of The Last Supper, you, you all kind of remember that? And they're all sitting at the table. No, they didn't sit at any table. Starting with the Greeks, as far as we can tell, and then the Romans and the Jews and all the ancient worlds, they reclined at the table. And so it, the table might have looked like this, you know, where they're all kind of reclining. And they reclined on, I better be careful because I may not be able to get back up. <laughs> but they reclined on their left shoulder because most of them were right-handed. And they, it was finger food. And they would, they would basically have their food as they, as they reclined at the table. And so that's the context of the Last Supper. That's what's going on here right now. And you see the location of the people. Jesus was in the host position. That's the second position. He was the host. And the person to his left was the person of honor. Who's that? Judas, right? Well, Judas was the CFO. So he took for himself, he was the guy who managed the money, he took for himself the seat of honor. They argued about who got the best. And John, the one whom Jesus loved, was sitting to his right, and probably Peter was on the other side. And now you kind of kind of can, as we go through the passage, you kind of see how it all connects, because Drew's going to come next week and, and, and we'll pick up further on that. So here we are. These first three verses uh, that I just read um, are, are probably the most foundational that you can have. The first three verses are because they set the mission and the legacy that Jesus is providing in this commencement. The mission and the legacy. So he's basically saying, I was sent by my Father into the world. In other words, I was out of the world 
and I was sent by the Father into the world to do something, a mission. And then he says, and now I've finished my mission, and I'm leaving the world and going back to my Father. In this sequence, he says that 25 times that I count. I came into the world to do what I was told to do. I was sent into the world by my Father. And now it's time for me to go back home to my Father. I, in other words, 25 times. I mean, we can be a little dense, but you can't be that dense. The, the, he, just, he makes it so crystal clear. And so what was the mission? His mission was to share his words that I, I want to unpack this carefully because uh, it's, so, it's so impactful. Um, he was told by the Father, I've got a specific set of words for you. Tell these people these words. So this is powerful stuff. He basically, uh, he says, um, uh, in the passage, he says things like, these words that I'm giving you now, I'm not speaking on my own authority it, it is the Father who is living in me. It is the Father and doing his work. It is the Father who is living. And he later says, these words that I'm giving you um, are, are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me. In John chapter 17, he says, um, at, he says uh, uh, Father, I have given them the words you gave me. So I don't know about you. I want to know what those words are. If God the Father is saying to God the Son, here are some words for you, I want to know what those words are, don't you? I mean, that's, that's a powerful thing here. So he's going to give them these words, and, um, and then he's going to um, leave them a legacy. He's saying, I'm leaving, but I'm sending something to you. This is this Holy Spirit. I'm sending something to you. So let me tell you the. Let me take you a little deeper on the words for a bit, and uh, then we'll come back. Um, um, I want to go all the way back to the beginning because I think something huge is happening in these verses. Uh, to the beginning, when because the, the the commencement speech is just hours before he's hanging on a cross, and he comes into the world in Matthew at the very beginning. Remember the Sermon on the Mountain. Mount, just that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just before then, he's coming in and he's saying, um, um, the words are being announced not by Jesus, but by John the Baptist. And it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, you ready? Saying, repent for the kingdom uh, of the kingdom of heaven has come near. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then it goes on, and it, it, John just develops this whole thing and because John is um, baptizing, and uh, the people went out to him from uh, Jerusalem and Judea and the whole Jordan re region, and he baptized, um, and he, he was baptizing them. And he says, confessing their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And then, but he made it clear, he says, my baptism is with water. It's, my baptism is, is not the same thing. He says, I'm baptizing you with water for the confession of sins. He says, but someone is coming after me who is far more powerful than me, and he, uh, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to hold, and he will baptize you with, you remember what it was? The Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I want to focus on he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what Jesus is going to do. 
And then the, the next thing you pick up on is that Jesus is baptized by John and coming up out of the water, the heavens open up and the Father says, uh, and, the, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove and it, and it alights on Jesus himself. And the Father says, in their hearing, he says, this is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit leads him into the uh, wilderness and coming out of the wilderness, he picks his disciples. Okay, now this is where I'm trying to get to, is uh, Matthew 4.17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. These are the words. He, he just began to preach. Remember what it was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. All right. Well, what in the world does that mean? Today, we don't use the word repent very much, not in everyday language. We don't use kingdom of heaven, and we don't know what coming near means. <laughs> so, but this is the centerpiece of what Jesus is sharing, repent for the kingdom of heaven. So here's what it means. Repent is not just what I say, but what I do. When I repent, it's way more than just confession. You know, Lord, I'm guilty, right? It's more than confession. It's more than apology. You know, Lord, I'm, uh, uh, I'm guilty and... Um, and, and I'm sorry. Uh, it's more than confession and apology and asking forgiveness. Um, Lord, I'm guilty, I'm sorry, would you forgive me, right? All right, that's all good, it's in there, but he's, the word does, means so much more than that. The word in Greek is metanoia, which means change, change. Change your mind, change your heart, and change your direction. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, it's called teshuva, which means make a U-turn. So if Jesus is there and I'm walking away from him, I am to turn and come back to him. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, man, <laughs> this is his commencement speech. Hey, man, turn around and come to me. So you see in the scriptures that he's teaching us things like, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he says, seek first my kingdom, and then everything else will fall into its proper place. And then he says, remain in my love and abide in me. And then he says, uh, follow me. And then he says, go with me. What is the common denominator of all that? It's life with God. It's, it's that we can actually experience the presence of a risen Jesus Christ now. Heaven isn't what happens in the by and by when I die. Heaven is what happens now, that I can experience the presence of God now. And I think he's literally reframing, repent for the kingdom of God has come near, and he's basically saying, Christ is now in me. That's what this passage is going to unfold. Jesus Christ now lives in us, and he lives in us through what is happening in the legacy part of his message, which is, that I'm sending you my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit will transform you, man, and such that the Father and Son can actually come and live in us, such that we experience his presence in the moment-to-moment. -moment. Life in Christ's presence is the secret sauce. It is the essence of what is being said. Repent, for the kingdom has come, because the king has come, and the king now lives in me. Does everybody get that? That... If that, listen man, if that is so, the king of the universe is somebody I can see and hear and experience. It was um, 
Uh, Lil Tomlin, who had this thing, says, when you speak, why is it that when you speak to God, it's called prayer, but when you hear God speak to you, it's called psychosis, right? Well, I don't know, because he, if you don't hear him talking to you, something isn't right, right? We can see, it, 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 this passage is going to show up that you can actually see and experience the risen Jesus Christ in the here and now. And if, it's hard to envision the, the belief that I'm going to see and experience him in the there and then if I don't have him here and now, right? And so that's the connection, and it really gets into some of these things about faith and works. And So the issue is, how is this possible? How do I experience this risen Jesus Christ in the here and now? Such that the good news is that I can know him as a person, right? And that we can, we can trans... So let's just uh, move ourselves forward. And I'm... This is just going to be a veneer, just a little teensy bit. I don't know. I've spent thousands of hours, hundreds of hours, I don't want to exaggerate, hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of it just stewing, marinating in, in these words. John 13, is, do you all guys have a favorite passage that you kind of, a life verse or something? This is, for me, the life verse, but it's a little more than just a verse. So, so it's just that it's so powerful. So here we are. Jesus gets up from his place at the meal, right? And he took off his outer garment, uh, uh, and, um, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he begins to do what is thoroughly unexpected. He starts washing his disciples' feet. Uh, and so he's washing, and he comes to Simon Peter. He says to him, Lord, <laughs> Lord, are you really going to wash my feet? Right? Look. The whole thing with rabbis in those days is the rabbis were so special to their disciples that it would be unthinkable that a rabbi... But listen, this is no rabbi. This is a person whom they have seen walk on water and calm storms and heal thousands of people. This is no rabbi. So, so Lord, are you really going to wash my feet, he says? <laughs> and and uh, Jesus said uh, to Peter, says, uh, Peter... <clears throat> You don't yet realize what I'm doing, but hang in there, buddy. You'll, you'll figure it out. Soon you'll realize, all right? Soon you'll understand, he says. Uh, and Peter says, uh, what? No, no, ain't no way. This cannot be. This is so inappropriate. I cannot imagine that. And uh, Jesus said, this, this blows you away. You've got to stew on this one for a little while. He, he basically says, uh, Peter, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. None. Um, and so Peter's response then is, uh, uh, then Lord, <laughs> not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well, right? Do it all. He doesn't get it yet. He doesn't get it yet. But he's, it's coming, it's coming. Um, and and, and so, so then Jesus says, well, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash their feet. The rest of them is clean, right? And so... Um, uh, 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 Peter, uh, excuse me, uh, the rest of him is clean. Um, for, for he knew who was going uh, to be, uh, excuse me, uh, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. Here it is. Though not all of you. Though you're not all clean, because he knew who was going to betray him. And so he said, not everybody here is clean. And so... Um, We'll just go on to the next piece here. And then 
he, he finish up this passage, and he says, after he had finished washing their feet, um, um, uh, he put back on his outer garment and returned to his place at the meal, and he said to them, um, do you understand what I've just done? Do you, do you? Well, the truth is they don't, but it's coming. Uh, do you understand what I've just done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. I have set for you an example that you might do f- for others as I have done for you, I, that you might, that, uh, in, in effect, live by my example. Um, he says, um, uh, says, I tell you the truth that, that excuse me, um, that you might do as I have done for you. Um, there oh, I get you. Uh, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What he means by blessed if you do them is that, that um, uh, God will bring about what is good for you if you do them. That, that's what blessing means. That God will bring into your life your good if you do what he's told you to do. And, and so he's talking about washing feet. Let's just go to the next piece and we'll kind of unpack this a little bit. He's saying in the first piece, this is what I want to do for you. I've set an example for you. Um, he said, by that, I mean, he has cleansed them before, bef- he's cleansed them before uh, he's asking them to do something. He's cleansing them first before asking them to wash feet. And so that's, that's so huge. It's like, you've got to have this sense of being transformed on the inside in order to love somebody else on the outside. So it's an inside first kind of process. And then he says when you, when you do, uh, the example is the meat is not uh, just to wash feet because, I mean, some, some churches have a sacrament of washing feet, right? That's not what he's calling for here. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what he's calling for. He's calling for meeting people's needs. If they had a different need, he would have done a different thing. It's just in the desert when you walk all day in sandals, you have dirty feet. That's, so he's meeting their needs, and he's doing it from a heart of authentic love. Let me just go to the next piece and um, uh, kind of unwrap this, because this is maybe the most important part um, of what I'd like to convey. Um, throughout this passage, this commencement passage, Jesus is saying, I need to transform you into a loving person. I, need, I want to make you into the kind of person that you need to be. So this notion of, um, of, 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 uh, of heart, uh, the scripture says, guard your heart. You remember that passage, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. It's what we are on the inside. He's not just calling us to fake it till you make it. He's not calling us to be like Pharisees who were whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones on the inside. He's not just calling us to a certain external profession and a doing of things that really isn't authentic to who I am. He wants to change us on the inside. So there's all kinds of passages that Paul takes off with afterwards. You know, Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13 and um, Colossians 3, where he says um, things like, clothe yourself with compassion and gentleness and kindness and humility 
and forgiveness. And, um, and um, do, do you see what I'm saying? He's, he's trying to change us as to we, who we are on the inside. And to, to turn ourselves from impurity and lust and evil and the thing, I'll call them ultimately selfish stuff, uh, I, where I'm taking care of me. Um, two things about uh, an impure heart. Um, if to the degree that we are possessed, are self-obsessed, that we are focused on me uh, and what I need and what I want, to the degree, and that works to the detriment of others around us, to the degree that's where our heart is, we will brighten any room by leaving it. We, our impact on those around us is not salt and light. What's the opposite of salt and light? I can't, it's not good. <laughs> What's the, the, we will brighten any room by leaving it. But it's worse than that. Because when we leave it, we walk out with us. <laughs> and all that baggage leaves us miserable. There is, there's an irony here that, that the pursuit of selfish ends leads to misery in the person's life. But on the other hand, the same two things apply to a person whose heart is being authentically transformed by the presence of Christ, by, the, by life with Christ. Right. So to that degree, you know, you have, if you have compassion and patience and kindness and humility, what's the impact of that heart on the people around us? It's, it's, just, it's just delightful. Uh, what's the impact of that heart on me? It's, it's what the words that come up most commonly in this passage. It's joy. It's peace. Uh, it's all goodness. <laughs> so let's just uh, keep going here with the, the but the point I'm trying to raise is how is that we are called to become live, life, uh, loving people. And in this passage, he's telling us how to become loving people. And he's going to say two things uh, that are, that are uh, formative. Uh, you know, one is that I can't become a loving person without being washed by Jesus Christ. I can't become a loving person without life in his presence. You know, you become like the people you spend time with, you know, birds of a feather and all of that. Uh, so if we spend time with Christ in a way that's, that's authentic and meaningful and person to person, we become more and more like him. So I can't do that apart from that. So how does one become a loving person? Let's just keep tr uh, trudging forward here. Um, th there's a couple of verses a little further down, and uh, uh, Joe said I could uh, raise these in this message. And uh, it's uh, John uh, 13, um, 33, and uh, 34 and 35. And there it says, uh, Jesus says, uh, my children, again, he's going to be on the cross in just a matter of hours. He says, my children, um, I'm going to only be with you for a little bit longer. Um, and he says, and just as I told the Jews, so I'm telling you now, that where I'm going, you can't come. So I'm going to give you this new command that you love each other as um, I have loved you. He says, as I have loved you, love each other, because it is by this that all men will know that you belong to me, that you love each other. So this is this. So um, I was um, stewing on these things last night about 9.30, and I realized that 
there's a quart and a pint jar here. Uh, never going to never gonna get through all of this uh, sort of wrestling with, uh, well, what's the most important thing to convey? And uh, um, I got this email uh, from uh, an old friend who knew that um, we were going to be engaging this morning. Uh, he's a retired pastor and all of that. And uh, he said, I just wanted you to know that I was praying for you. Um, and I just wanted you to know that um, I'm here. Um, and I just was so touched, so touched. We have this uh, group called the, <laughs> it's an aspirational title, it's called the Sages. And everybody's over 70. Um, so that's, you get this kind of old kind of sense of the group. Um, the mission of the group um, is to end well. Um, it's that simple. Uh, to go out in flames. Um, you know, one of us is dying of cancer right now. Uh, so that's just happening. The other one uh, went through that experience a little while ago. Uh, but, but this notion of living life with other godly people because he's basically adding to the, to the mix that, that we are to love other people and that we need other people uh, uh, to, to live with us. So this new command. So let's, let's take the last couple of slides here. Um, this new command that he gives us um, raises the question, at least in my mind, well, what was the old command? I mean, if he's got a new command, there must be an old one, Right? So what's the, what was the old command? Um, um, there was a song that was Motown, and it came back, it was around, um, it was about the time Jason was born, um, and it was called um, Love Train by the, old, by the OJs. Anybody ever hear it? Yeah, I see a couple older folks. This Love Train, well, the idea of the Love Train in the lyrics was that everybody holds hands and we're going through... We're kind of living life together, and we're going through Russia and China, and we're, you know, everybody's going all over the world, and everybody loves each other. Um, um, well, you know what? <laughs> there are many attributes of God. He's perfect and just and merciful and omniscient and, om- and omnipotent and wise and so all-sufficient. I could li- there are about 14 of them that I could probably uh, dredge up. Uh, attributes of God. But this identity of God is a love train, and it kind of happens like this. Before there was time or space or matter or energy, there was a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit who lived in eternity past in deep and fervent and perfect love with one another. And those in their perfection created us in their image in order that we might become like them, that we might live with them and be transformed by them such that we might be theirs, right? And so this notion that there's this love train and that, that, in, that what's being added here is that in addition to loving God and loving others, including my enemies, there is this special love that you look around. By the way, I'm not going to ask you to talk to your neighbor. I'm an introvert. <laughs> uh, look around. Uh, uh, this, uh, these people are special. My sages are special. What is special is that we have the same Holy Spirit in us. We live with the same God moment to moment in his presence together. 
There is a need that we have for one another that is profoundly prescribed in the commencement speech of the king of the universe. We need each other. A new command I give you, that you, the chosen, the saved ones of Christ, would love each other and live together in the kind of love. Let's just keep going. Uh, so that's, that's the new command. And so uh, I'm going to skip this one uh, and just go to a close for just recognizing my time uh, is, is growing nigh <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, uh, I wanted to just uh, make this, uh, this observation, this story, and, probably, and just try and tease out the main thing because, see, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Um, so, you know, my story, I'd, there was something back in the day, many, many years ago, in eons past, where in the church, at the end of a service, there would be an altar call. Um, and um, in my church, as a boy of 13, there was an altar call. And um, I experienced uh, a presence of a real God who was telling me, not because I hadn't killed anybody and I hadn't, and I was, comp- you know, I was just a kid, right? Telling me that, that there was some higher standard of, of authenticity, of love that I am to live life through and with, and that he is holier and that I had this need. So now I could give you all the verses, Romans 3.23, and I could, give, I could just run all through that stuff with you. But, I, but I, that's, that's not the important part. The important part, because I've thought about this a lot, I experienced a real God who was talking to me and engaging me and calling me to himself. So I, I responded. Um, and the message was that uh, there was this proposition and that I could accept it and I could be saved and I would go to heaven when I die. That was the focus of that message. I could be born again right now, and I could go to heaven when I die. Let me say that again. I could be born again right now, and that I could go to heaven when I die. Those things are true. You know what was missing? What about life? What about now? What do I do tomorrow? Um, And that's what the gospel in the gospels is addressing. That's what Jesus is saying in his commencement speech. The message is... Right here, right now, uh, you can know and experience me. You can know and experience my presence in your life, in your heart, right here, right now. God's agenda is to get heaven into us before taking us into heaven. We are to be transformed into his character and away from the character that I come by naturally. Right? And, and the way that happens, he's going to tell us in this message. He's going he's to unfold it. He's going to say, on the one hand, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to empower you by my presence in your life. But on the other hand, he's going to say, but wait, wait, Bubba, there's more. You've, in order to live the life I prescribe for you, I've just taught you for three years how to do that. You've got to do what I told you to do. You've got to obey my teaching." Now, we get into this little myth about uh, faith and works and all of that in our conservative circles, right? Faith and works, right? Uh, For by grace you are saved by faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. But it misses the next verse, 
which is that God has equipped us for good works that he's assigned for us. There's works there. There's something to do. Somebody said that the 27% of everything Jesus taught was, was doing. So he finishes the Sermon on the Mount. He says, whoever hears these words of mine, can anybody finish that? Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man. And whoever hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a fool, right? That's what commencement speeches are about, wisdom and foolishness. And so we've got to put the words into practice because John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it to the overflow, to the abundance. The overflow and the abundance comes from living in life's presence, in, in Christ's presence. And his teachings tell us how to live in his presence. And that's where we're going with this, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. He's going to tell us how to live in his presence. And he's going to say, I'm going to give you as a legacy my Holy Spirit. And yes, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you my Holy Spirit. And through that Holy Spirit, the Father and Son will make their home with us and in us. And oh, by the way, don't miss this part, there's something to do. There's something to do. I need to do to obey his... I've got one more sermon session. Oh, man, I, I, I really blew this one because it's like about 20% of what I had in mind. But, uh, 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 but the next one is on John 14, which I think is the most powerful chapter in the entire Scripture. There's 783,127 words in the Bible, the NIV version, the one that is sanctified, right? <laughs> You've got all those words in the Bible, but i got to tell you that... It, they're not all equally weighted. It's all inspired, but there is a backstory and there's story. And then there's story and there's climax, and then there's climax, and then there's gospel. And let us go forward to the gospel because John 14 is where the action is. That's where the legacy is explained and the duty to obey is uh, driven home. Driven. Um, Dallas Willard puts it this way. Um, Faith is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We don't earn our salvation through, we don't earn our salvation, but we are called into the discipline of discipleship, which is effort. And the absence of effort is a life of mediocrity in the Christian walk. I, it took me 50 years of life in the church before I could see the power that is being offered. And, and it's just led to a different dimension and quality of life with God. Life in his presence. That's the, that's the secret sauce. The commencement speech of Christ is that the way to be successful in this world is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and to be so transformed by that first and greatest commandment. Don't try and do the second without the first. Because if you do, you, at humanism is the best you can, can manage. right? First, I've got to fall in love with him. And so much overflow with that, that it's salt and light to everything I touch. And I love my neighborhood. I can't love China. I, look, there's a, too many facts flowing through. There's the rule of, of 150 is that you can only know and experience 150 people in your life at, at any given time. You, you can't know a billion people. 
That's why the, the scripture is to love your neighborhood. You're the salt and light to the people who you touch. So let's just uh, close then uh, of here as we... Um, what have I missed? Well, more than I got, <laughs> for sure. Um, but this is truly profound. Um, this is truly profound. The wisdom that Christ has prescribed is that we can live this life in his presence and be transformed by his presence because the more you are with someone, the more you know that person. And to know him is to love him, and to love him is to be transformed by him. And that's the secret sauce. And that's way better than Ann Landers or Vidal Sassoon or Will Rogers and certainly better than Teddy Roosevelt, right? Um, we can be transformed by his presence. And this, the way to live in his presence is to obey his teaching. I'll say that one more time because that's what's going to come up. The way to live in his presence is to obey his teaching because it will transform us. It really will. So let's uh, close in prayer and uh, um, uh, ask the Lord to use this somehow. <laughs> Uh, Father, uh, as the, the band comes forward as well, I guess, um, uh, Father, um, uh, the, the agenda here uh, was, to, uh, was to come to, to understand your words, not mine. Um, and you have, uh, you have presented words that can transform our life. Father, uh, it's beyond our pay grade. It's beyond our power. It's beyond our intellect to take this to the next level. But it is your intent that everyone in this room and everyone connected through live stream or through uh, recording or any other means will be transformed, that we will be changed, metanoia, that we will be changed, that we will, teshuva, that we will make a U-turn that we will be drawn to you and your presence will then transform us uh, such that we are truly the kind of salt and light that is authentic. It's not a fake it till you make it. It's, not, it's a will it till you want it maybe, but it's, it's just simply that you are working in us to make us what you need us to be to, to love those in our neighborhood. So we pray these things in Christ's name.